welcome to A Reason for Hope. Happy Monday and uh, glad you could join us. This is A Reason for Hope, a daily weekday broadcast where we take people's questions live uh, from various social media platforms, questions about the Bible, the Christian worldview, uh, understanding various scripture passages. And uh, uh, we have in studio with us today, Pastor Scott Richards. How are you? I'm doing great, Adrian. Great to be with you. Very good. Thanks for Taking the time out of your very, very busy schedule as a teaching pastor and senior pastor at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in Tucson, Arizona, uh, to be with us every day. Yeah. You've been doing this. Uh, first, it started on the radio, and now we're doing it as a live stream since 2001. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> time flies when you're in a blind panic, but we've been after it every, uh, all that time. I, I know one of these, I know there's talks and things, but I would love to see someday. The top 100 questions we have gotten on a reason for hope, <laughs> like a book or something. <laughs> that would be an interesting, uh, an interesting insight. It's funny how uh, some of the questions we get uh, are repeated uh, quite often. Uh, you know, not only from skeptics but uh, also from believers. So well, maybe we can. Uh, uh, turn uh, my right-hand man protege all around good guy Sean Richards loose <laughs> on a project like that, and we'll find out exactly uh, what, what's been on people's minds all these yeah. years. Well, I, I look forward to the day where you thought you could say, oh, you know what? That one caught me off guard. I actually haven't had that question yet, but uh, I don't know how often you get those. But uh, <laughs> Every once in a while, someone will ask something that uh, I've, I've never considered before, but mm, uh, it, it keeps things interesting. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, if you do have a question and you do want to ask, please uh, follow us along. You can uh, watch the live stream on Facebook. Uh, again, every day, uh, 5 to 6 p.m. Uh, Mountain Standard Time. And of course, if you want to watch us on Facebook, you can go to our handles at CCF Tucson on Facebook. Uh, please also, we live stream to YouTube. And if you do watch us on YouTube or Facebook, please subscribe, like, follow, share, all those things that help others uh, become more informed that we are doing this program. We tackle some of the hottest most difficult issues about scripture, about social issues, as it pertains to the Christian faith and living as a Christian in our modern era. Uh, our YouTube channel is uh, A Reason for Hope 546, so if you want to go there and watch there, you can. And we take questions in real time from both those platforms. We'll be monitoring those as we go through the broadcast each day. You can also follow Pastor Scott on Twitter. You can ask questions there. He's a uh, uh, pretty active on Twitter. So if you want to do that, uh, his handle is at Scott R4H. That's Scott, the letter R, the number four, and the letter H. Go to our website if you want to watch there. If you don't like YouTube or don't have a Facebook account and want to watch the program and ask questions, go to our website, hit the Watch Live tab, and that will take you to our live stream of this broadcast and all our services. And there is a place where you can ask questions there as well. And, of course, we have a Bible app uh, where you can follow along, (laughs) listen to past sermons, engage uh, with our community. You can even start a prayer group, Um, and that can be downloaded in the Apple or uh, Android uh, or Google Play Store. You can also follow along in the Apple, uh, I'm sorry, the Amazon Play Store, and we also have our app in Roku, so you can watch all our live streams, our services, this broadcast, if you want to just watch live, and if you kind of want to be a little anonymous and want to ask a question via email without necessarily being on a social media platform, you may do so at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, at gmail.com. So before we get to those questions, before we start uh, seeing 
who's got a question on Facebook or YouTube, wherever, let's take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we uh, for sure yeah as we do this yeah Lord thank you so much that we can invite your presence here and it's such an amazing thing that every time we pray and maybe we should just take a second and think about this you the true and living God hear our prayers and Lord your ear is not halt that you can't hear uh, your arm isn't short that you can't save and so Lord I pray that for any within the sound of uh, our voices here today that are are going through a, a real crisis time in their life they would call on you and be able to see your your amazing power at work within their lives Lord we thank you for the principles and precepts of your word uh, we thank you for the ultimate revelation of your character and the person of Jesus Christ and we thank you that because of this we can not only uh, begin to understand, uh, what you may be up to when we're going through difficulties and hard times in our lives. But also, uh, we can understand more and more about how we can trust your timeless, changeless, perfect, and holy, loving character, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's going on in the world. Thank you, Lord, for being uh, our true and living God, our refuge uh, in the storm, our, our shade at our right hand, as you say in Psalm 121. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord, that uh, the same God who watches over Israel and doesn't slumber or sleep watches over us as well. Uh, we give you this time. We pray that uh, no matter uh, what heavy-duty subjects we might get into, that the ultimate fruit of this time would be your peace that passes all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We ask you to accomplish this in, in a whole lot more that we can't even anticipate, Lord. Have your way on the broadcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I understand that we may uh, have a good uh, timing to do a little prophecy update. Yeah, uh, well, if you were with us uh, on Friday, for sure, uh, we uh, got into a, a real dust-up that has been going on in the Middle East. And not just the Middle East, it's, it really has some implications uh, worldwide about uh, what is going on here. You know, one of the things that Jesus told us about in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, is that uh, there would be certain signs of the times. He referred to them as birth pains, quite literally, sorrows in some translations, but literally they're labor pains. And uh, like labor pains, uh, that increase in frequency and intensity as the big event draws near. Uh, so uh, a number of different uh, uh, heavenly heads-ups, if you will, uh, Jesus said, uh, would uh, not only affect the world globally, but also have direct impact upon the nation of Israel uh, directly and individually. And uh, as this broadcast has gone on, as you mentioned, uh, all the way back to 9-11, uh, uh, we have seen uh, these kind of uh, uh, labor pains happen, where some of the things that Jesus warned about, uh, among them, uh, plagues and pestilences. You know, that was one of the ones, Adrian, quite frankly, that uh, I kind of wondered about because, you know, plagues and pestilences, you didn't really see a whole lot of that. And then, boom, Pandemic City. Uh, that was uh, a major global uh, pestilence. Now we uh, find out through uh, some of the uh, 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 hidden camera video uh, productions by uh, Project Veritas mm. and others that uh, some of the uh, companies that uh, produce the vaccines and so forth uh, were doing gain-of-function research. They call it directed evolution uh, to uh, anticipate uh, what the next outbreak would be and be able to have uh, already prepared and ready to go vaccines 
for uh, this next uh, uh, developed uh, uh, outbreak that was going on here. So, you know, plagues and pestilences, certainly uh, something that we've had to learn to live with. Every time you see a mask tossed by the side of the road, it's a reminder to you that that is something that's happening. Wars and rumors of wars, particularly wars and rumors of wars that uh, are uh, global in nature, for sure, but also have Israel as the centerpiece. Certainly something that we uh, want to keep an eye on here on A Reason for Hope, because uh, Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up for your salvation draws near. Mm-hmm. You know, How do we know that we're in the general ballpark of the return of Jesus Christ? Well, the most overwhelming sign is Israel being back in the land. Uh, not just back in the land, but a number of different prophecies about Israel, including all nations of the world uh, uniting together in one uh, conclusion that Israel is kind of the problem. Uh, the other uh, geopolitical thing that we need to be looking for is that uh, in passages like Ezekiel 38 and 39, that there is going to be a Russian-led invasion of Israel that is going to take place in the last days when Israel has been gathered back into the land from being scattered. Israel's land has been desolate uh, for uh, a long, long time, according to the prophecies we find in Ezekiel 38. Uh, First, Israel's land is uh, restored. The people of Israel are restored back to the land. And then this invasion goes on, led by Russia, with uh, a very specific nation among the different nations mentioned in this coalition invading Israel, Iran. Mm. Uh, and uh, you know, we take a look at that, and we see what is going on in Israel right now. And some fascinating things certainly mm. have been happening. On Friday, uh, we shared with you on the broadcast uh, the attack uh, that Israel uh, uh, masterminded, according to the Wall Street Journal. It's the world's worst uh, kept military secret that the Mossad was behind an, a- an attack on the Iranian city of Isfasan. Isfasan is an interesting uh, part of uh, Iran's uh, well uh, economy and uh, their infrastructure. In that, it is a major place uh, where the Iranian Space Research Center is located. Uh, it was also a place where Iran has done uh, a lot of work on developing its ballistic missile program, uh, being able to uh, now have the capability, according to many intelligence uh, uh, services, uh, to be able to uh, attack uh, targets as far away as anywhere in Europe at this point uh, if they achieve the ability to be able to uh, have suborbital technology that would even allow the Iranians to be able to uh, lob a missile uh, across the Arctic Circle to the United States. So, you know, these uh, these uh, negotiations that have been going on, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, as it was called, uh, initiated during the Obama administration, pretty much put on the shelf during the Trump administration because the Trump administration didn't trust the Iranians any farther than they could throw them. Uh, Iran's uh, saber-rattling about developing its uh, nuclear program. Uh, we have shared with you on the broadcast that Iran has stated uh, that they are now at uh, 60% uh, enrichment on, uh, on uranium. Uh, if you get to 90%, you've got the kind of uranium that you can use to create a, a nuclear weapon. Mm. And uh, the idea that Iran could cross that line and have that kind of uranium at their disposal may be two months away if uh, the uh, leaders in Iran uh, give the thumbs up to this sort of thing. 
So uh, very interesting. Uh, the Biden administration came in with the idea of reviving the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, uh, try to get the European uh, Union uh, on board. Uh, the Iranians, as is their want, uh, were uh, pretty intransigent about it all, uh, trying to up the ante as far as concessions went, uh, trying to get uh, the billions of dollars that have been frozen as far as Iranian assets are concerned, unfrozen. Uh, and uh, our government uh, was open to doing that. Well, we saw what the Iranians have done with that. They have, again, uh, used this money to be able to finance terroristic uh, operations across the Middle East and even across the, across the world. So, you know, we see this happening. But now we're seeing our administration almost doing an about-face on Iran. It's almost as if Iran has uh, pushed the envelope too far even for the taste of uh, our current administration, which had been very pro-Iranian and very uh, taking a very jaundiced eye at, at Israel. Uh, and, and so on Friday, according to the Wall Street Journal, citing unnamed U.S. officials who knew of the military operation in advance, in other words, this was approved by the United States in advance, three compact quad helicopters struck a munitions factory in Isfasan. Uh, the target is next to a site uh, connected to the Iranian Space Research Center. There are reports that the drone strike also struck one of the headquarters, the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, uh, which has been labeled by the United States a terrorist organization. The European Union is now about the business of labeling uh, the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, which is considered the elite forces of Iran, also a terrorist organization. So all of this comes... Uh, with some really uh, interesting uh, developments going on in Iran. As we've mentioned here, uh, the mad mullahs in Iran uh, pushed the envelope a little bit too far, even with their own people, in that they shot and killed on the street an Iranian woman uh, who was not wearing her hijab properly. Well, this was uh, pretty much stuff they've been getting away with for a long, long time. But it was almost like uh, the straw that broke the camel's back as far as the people of Iran are concerned. Because uh, in a very interesting uh, providential way, God getting involved with all this, Iran has been going through a horrific drought. Water supplies and therefore crops in Iran uh, have been suffering tremendously over the last three years or so. Uh, because of this and because of the isolation of Iran from the international community, uh, the, Iranian, the Iranian economy has just uh, gone into the dumpster, so to speak. Uh, the amount of inflation in Iran uh, is just uh, tremendous, and the amount of uh, rials, the Iranian currency that you would need, uh, even uh, versus a dollar is around 145,000 rials to the dollar now. Oh, my. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, uh, the mad mullahs uh, with their espoused goal of uh, creating a situation in the world that would bring in their Muslim messiah, according to Shiite Islam, uh, who is in a seclusion, supposedly in a well in the holy city of Qum. Uh, he is going to come on the scene when there is a global war. He will lead the forces of Islam to victory over the West. And interestingly enough, According to uh, Shiite Islamic eschatology, uh, last day's uh, teaching, uh, Isa, or Jesus himself, will show up on the scene and perform miracles and signs to go before this 12th imam to lead the forces of Islam to victory supernaturally. Uh, he will claim that the 12th imam is greater than he, uh, even though Isa, according to uh, Shiite Islam, 
his virgin-born, sinless, uh, and so on. Uh, they don't believe that he died on a cross and rose from the yeah. dead, but uh, they do believe that he is uh, a, certainly a very strong spiritual figure in their ideas. Well, you know, you take a look at what Revelation 13 has to say about the rise of the Antichrist and the rise of the false prophet. You wonder how uh, the Islamic world would buy into, say, the Antichrist's uh, idea that he's God, uh, you know, and that this false prophet is there. Well, you know, you start to see some of these pieces of the puzzle coming together. So suffice it to say, uh, our government had backed uh, the Iranians trying to use the uh, carrot rather than the stick to get them to back off of their nuclear ambitions. But things have changed. We've seen a number of joint uh, military operations now being done by Israel and the United States, including refueling exercises that would allow Israel to be able to strike targets deep into Iran and return safely to base uh, with their uh, current uh, abilities in terms of warplanes and so on. So uh, the, the interesting thing uh, about all of this is uh, this drone attack happened. The Wall Street Journal is uh, saying that uh, the Mossad was behind it. Israel is noncommittal uh, about all of this. Uh, but uh, a, a serious series of attacks, 10 different sites hit within Iran, uh, took place, including one of their main facilities for developing drones. Now, this is where things get very interesting, almost on a global scale, uh, Adrian. And, and, and if this gets too complicated, please slow me down and, and we can sum up. But the interesting thing about this is that Israel has been under great pressure from the United States to get more involved in the uh, war that is going on in the Ukraine, to take a more active role in supporting the Ukrainian government against the Russians. Now, Israel has tried to be noncommittal about this, not wanting to take sides one way or the other. The United States has stepped in and has shipped a huge munitions supply that was in Israel to Ukraine for their use against the Russians. Oh, it was in Israel. Yeah, it was in Israel. Now it has been shipped to the Ukraine. That, that uh, munitions depot has been there in order for Israel to be able to respond to, say, a similar attack as the Yom Kippur War that took place. Mm. Well, that's no longer there. That's over in the Ukraine right now. Uh, the attack on the drone facility uh, in Iran uh, is now something that has riled the Russians because the Russians have been using Iranian drones to attack Ukrainian infrastructure in the war that is going on here. So to attack the, the Iranian drone factory there in Isfasan, uh, was tantamount to cutting off one of the supply lines that Russia was using to mm. facilitate its attacks on Iran. And so from Russia's point of view, that attack, in a sense, has uh, kind of tipped the cards in Israel's favor of Ukraine versus uh, the Russian and the Iranian mm. uh, arrangement that was going even on if, there. Even if they weren't intending to affect the Russian conflict, it has. <laughs> well, you know, we, we wonder the intention there. You know, who knows? A uh, very interesting article in the Jerusalem Post uh, running uh, today. Our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, 
mm-hmm. is visiting the Middle East. He has now flown in to Israel with high, for high-level talks with the Netanyahu administration. Now, if you're with us on Friday, uh, we talked about one of the motivations for Israel going ahead and attacking Iran deep inside its own territory in a way that's going to hurt, especially the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, was tied into the uh, outrageous attack on the synagogue in Jerusalem that left seven Israelis dead, mm-hmm. three more seriously injured in a Jerusalem hospital today. We really don't know if they're going to make it or not. But uh, the new Netanyahu government was given uh, a, an incredibly uh, harsh response by the public saying, you know, we voted you in because we thought you were going to bring us peace and security. Where is the peace and security? Mm-hmm. So as we mentioned on Friday, one of the motivations for Israel acting along this line certainly was to send a message to the Iranians, who, by the way, are the puppet masters over all of the terroristic things mm-hmm. that are going on in the Middle East. Uh, basically, all of the, uh, the, uh, the terrorist entities that are, are, are arrayed against like Israel, Hamas, and, Hamas and Hez- especially Hezbollah, mm-hmm. are Iranian client states. So Hamas client- is in the... Hamas uh, is in the Gaza Strip, and then and, and, and uh, as well as it, in in, uh, uh, in Lebanon. Lebanon, yeah. <laughs> but G- Islamic Jihad is also a uh, client state mm. of uh, the uh, the uh, Iranians. Uh, the mm. Palestinian Authority itself kind of put its cards on the table when they wanted to provide uh, their standard operating procedure, that is to provide a pension for life for the surviving family of any individual that was killed supposedly in jihad, being a martyr. Uh, This uh, horrible, uh, deluded individual who shot these innocent people walking out of a synagogue, Uh, his parents were expecting the same sort of treatment. Uh, His parents have now been arrested by Israel. Oh, by the Israelis. Yeah, and uh, the idea of them receiving this pension from the Palestinian Authority. So no good guys, mm. you know, no moderates, if you will, along this line. Yeah, it's like getting, you know, murder on your way to church Yeah, just because you're going to church. Yeah, and uh, having a uh, foreign government uh, give the uh, parents of the murderer a pension for life hmm. as a result of all of that. So, wow. you know, we, we looked at that and we, we, you know, the first inclination, I do think it was a big part of that, is the Netanyahu government saying, you can trust us, uh, we are not going to let the forces of evil uh, prevail, uh, we are going to make Iran pay for these sort of things in a very painful and personal way. But now we find out that there's more going on to uh, on in this than just uh, shoring up the, the Netanyahu security at home. Uh, Anthony Blinken made a statement, quote, all options are on the table to prevent the emergence of a nuclear Iran. Oh, so now we want to prevent it. Whereas before we were just throwing money their way, thinking, oh, no, we trust them. They're not going to do anything like Well, that. <laughs> Well, evidently Iran, uh, because they have sided with the Russians and have supplied the Russians with drone technology, has so irritated the Biden administration because the only thing they can't stand more than Israel is <laughs> Russia at this point. Uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend mentality going on here. Uh, suddenly, our policy has turned around. Wow! Suddenly, we are conducting these long-range <clears throat> uh, joint military exercises and uh, an attack on these particular sites in Iran that specifically targeted sites that were being used by the Iranians to support the Russian 
war effort in the Ukraine. Uh, well, so seeing the the foundation being laid for a potential Battle of Gog and Magog situation. Yeah. Uh, again, a senior aide to uh, Voldemort Zelensky uh, likened the incident that took place to an act of direct war there. He said, explosive night in Iran, uh, we warned you. Uh, and this was directed, again, to not just the Iranians, but also to the Russians. Now, Iran has acknowledged sending drones to Russia, but said they were sent before uh, Moscow's invasion. Well, the problem with that is uh, many of the drones that have been shot down are Iranian drones that uh, the, the Russians are using. So they've certainly gotten fresh supplies. Mm. It's expected that Russia and its alliance with Iran is going to become more and more cemented as a result of all of this. And that ties us back to uh, the pieces coming together in Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, Iran and Russia are going to become fast friends. Now, the interesting thing about all of this, and uh, tying it back into uh, how this affects the entire world, well, our country uh, has uh, made the commitment to send tanks and uh, anti-drone and anti-missile technology into the Ukraine. You know, people say, well, okay, we're just supplying them with weapons. But if you're an old coot like me, and remember how we got involved with the Vietnam War, uh, remember something, the Vietnam War started with the United States sending advisors and military equipment to South Vietnam. We weren't going to get involved with the war directly. But uh, then there were things that took place like the Gulf of Tonkin incident uh, where a United States uh, ship was fired upon. You know, there's evidence to suggest that that was a false flag operation, that uh, it was an excuse to escalate uh, the war in Vietnam. So it starts out always with, uh, with munitions. Then you need to send advisors in to run the munitions. We're sending these advanced tanks in. Germany is sending advanced tanks in the Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you've got to have people that can run this equipment, including United States troops. Uh, interesting article uh, in the American Thinker website today, an article by Thomas Lifeson with a sprightly little headline to it, a nuclear World War III may be closer than you think. A United Nations body apparently thinks that nuclear war may be imminent. According to an article in Yahoo News, a new World Health Organization report calling for an increase in global preparedness for radiological and nuclear emergencies doesn't spell out any kind of current conflict, but it doesn't need to. The, war has, the world has become fully aware of the increased dangers of radiological and nuclear uh, threats. Now, what that means is they're concerned about uh, dirty bomb technology, in other words, an explosive that's encased in some kind of nuclear material, which would have uh, a far more dangerous and destructive effect than just an explosion. It would mm -hmm. result in nuclear poisoning, uh, you know, radiation disease being spread over an area, not just, say, the destruction of property and the people within the bomb radius, so to speak. The idea of uh, Russia uh, getting involved. Uh, using nuclear weapons, you know, well, you know, are they really going to do something along that line? Well, we need to understand something. Vladimir Putin, who some characterized as deranged, uh, and this is again from the American Thinker article, has warned that war against Russian territory would be an existential threat. Yet there's talk of an offensive to regain Crimea for the Ukraine, 
which is territory that Russia regards as part of its homeland. Uh, when uh, Biden administration officials start talking about regime change in Moscow as the goal of the Ukrainian conflict, okay, uh, Vladimir Putin is nobody's idea of a good guy mm -hmm. or someone who should be supported. Look who he's in bed with, the mad mullahs in Iran. But when you put a guy like that, uh, who is a former high official in the KGB uh, before the Soviet Union fell, uh, certainly not an individual that would uh, think twice about doing whatever he would th think necessary uh, to, say, prevent himself from losing a war being brought up on war crimes trials, these sort of things. Um, how far can you push a guy like that before he's going to push back? And, uh, you know, when we take a look at the ineffectiveness of the Russian military getting bogged down in Ukraine right now, well, really the trump card that the Russians still have to play is its nuclear arsenal. Yeah, about 5,000 of them. Yeah, there. so, you know, the, 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 know the bottom it. line is it's not unreasonable to think mm. that if Vladimir Putin was cornered and feared regime change, uh, he would uh, definitely up the nuclear saber-rattling saber or even use them in a limited sense, even in the Ukrainian like the, theater. Like a tactical nuke, something that's smaller in scale but still nuclear nonetheless. And if he does that, what is the United States' response yeah, going to be? Right. So... You know, uh, the, the idea that, uh, that nuclear war uh, could be possible certainly is being bandied about here, but here's why I don't believe it's going to happen. Hmm. Russia and Iran is currently constituted, have to survive in order to lead the last day's invasion mm -hmm. of Israel we see described in Ezekiel 38. What I believe we're seeing happening here is a birth pain. Now, what happens with a birth pain? They build up to a fever pitch, and then suddenly things go back to normal for a time. Mm. I think that's exactly what we're going to see in all of this. But when Israel is getting, in a sense, brought in and uh, given you know, United States blessing, if not facilitation, to strike targets in Iran, which, by the way, the Netanyahu government would fully be in favor of. It certainly supports them certainly presents them to the Israeli people as a strong force for security in that region, yeah. but also draws Israel further into opposition and antagonism yeah. with the Russians and with the Iranians and with their cohorts and allies described in Ezekiel 38, who one day will invade Israel. Uh, you know, people say, do you think that this uh, Gog and Magog invasion could happen imminently? I don't think so, for one important reason. Uh, the thing that prompts the attack of the Russian-led coalition into Israel in the last days is uh, the, uh, the coalition looking at Israel, and first of all, they want to take spoil. Uh, that's their main motivation. There's something Israel has that they want. We've talked quite a bit about the discoveries of huge tracts of natural mm -hmm. gas uh, mm -hmm. off of Israel, which, you know, energy is everything in our world economy. Uh, but the other thing that's really interesting is they attack when they look at Israel as a land of unwalled villages dwelling peacefully on all sides in the land. It's now, not quite the picture you'd see today. No. In fact, <laughs> you can say a lot of things about Israel, but their defense is down. No. When will they do that? Well, according to Isaiah 28, 
Israel will at one time uh, make an agreement with death, a covenant with death, mm. and say that that is going to cover us from our enemies. Mm. Now, who is going to be able to provide something that fits that description? Well, it's the Antichrist. When he comes to power, I believe following the chaos of the, the is going to happen in the world, following the rapture of the church, millions of people vanished, the impact uh, upon world economy, the impact upon the United States being gutted as far as being the 800-pound uh, gorilla that stirs the drink military and economically, mm-hmm. we're going to be devastated. Think what happened when just under 3,000 people lost their lives on 9-11. Our economy was shot for four years. Yeah. Try to imagine 54 million evangelical Bible-believing Christians in the United Oof. States say that's half right. Imagine what would happen in the United mm-hmm. States, more than Europe, more than Russia, more than some of the other players that are mentioned mm-hmm. here. So I believe the Antichrist is going to come into that chaos and bring peace and safety to the world for in three a sense, and a half years. And yeah. end to the a quote unquote end to the Middle East conflict. Yeah. It'd have to be to that monumental of a level to have no walls and Well, and according to Daniel chapter nine and verse twenty six and following, he's going to make a strong covenant with many that will allow Israel to rebuild its temple on its historic mm. site. So he's even going to get the Muslims and the Israelis to play nice wow. for a while. Speaking of that, uh, Gabe wanted to know, since since the tribulation technically begins at nine, Daniel 9.27, uh, wouldn't it be true that the, the Antichrist would already have to be a prominent individual in the world scene? Or, he's asking, does the Antichrist, uh, not is he not known? Is this person uh, come right away, or is this person sort of, will it be a while before... Uh, this person comes on the scene. Like, what is the what are sort of the uh, um, what are some of the hallmarks of the of the entrance of the Antichrist into the situation politically and globally? Uh, you know, this yeah. Gabe yeah. was asking because he had seen some films on uh, the tribulation and wasn't quite sure which depiction was the most biblically. Yeah, one. Uh, Gabe. Let me tell you something right off the bat: getting your theology from films not a good idea. <laughs> Uh, you know, even the uh, Left Behind reboot, I guess, has created kind of a dust-up because one of the main plot points in it, and, and, you know, the people who are doing it, you know, Kevin Sorbo and these others are, you know, I think they're sincere believers. But uh, one of the main plot points is one of the char- main characters uh, says, well, you were a Christian. Why were you left behind? Well, I asked God specifically to leave me behind so I could help you out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, my right-hand man, protege, all around good guy, Sean, uh, said that virtually Every eschatological perspective looked at that and went, what? (laughs) So, you know, be very careful about, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, streaming series, whether it's uh, movies about Mm. the last days, don't get your theology, Mm. don't get your understanding of God from uh, these sources. They can be entertaining, but that's it. You know, if they cause you to dive deeper in your Bible, that's great. But uh, boy, you know, if, if you you know, think that some of the quotes that Jesus launches in the chosen were actually said by him, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And and that's dangerous, you know, if you're not discerning. It's great if it's entertainment, but don't do your devotions with it, I guess would be uh, my advice to you. But having said that, um, you know, I think the, the one of the most uh, clarifying pictures that we find about the rise of the Antichrist, and this is really an important thing because uh, there, you know, I've been around long enough uh, for uh, conspiracy theorists and tinfoil hat types 
uh, to launch all kinds of speculations about who might be the Antichrist. Mm. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, right after I got saved, Henry Kissinger was a great peacemaker. You know, he brought peace to Vietnam. Oh, he's a peacemaker. And boy, he has that thick accent and those glasses look pretty scary. <laughs> so I wonder if he's the Antichrist. He wasn't and the surprisingly, Antichrist. surprisingly, we have a lot of people asking about the tribulation period right now. So I'm glad we're touching on this. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. And- yeah. So, uh, you know, then it was uh, 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 Mikhail Gorbachev. Because he had that, you know, that wine stain birthmark on his forehead. And if you look just right, maybe you could see six six. Gorbachev wasn't the Antichrist. Uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Hmm. You ever think? Ronald, six letters. Wilson, six oh. letters. Reagan, six letters. Well, that's, that's, you know, I, uh, I Bo showed me uh, 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 one of those uh, Mad Magazine meets Prophecy uh, books, and they showed a picture of uh, Reagan riding an Arabian horse. They said, <laughs> behold, a white horse, and him is sat upon it. You know, there you go. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, the, the list goes on, you know, and, and depending. Prince Charles a lot. Uh, you know, depending on, on, on whose politics you don't like, they usually, who is the, how are we going to know the Antichrist when he shows up? Well, we won't. And, and, and this is why I say this. Uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and I think this is really definitive, Gabe, as far as understanding the rise of the Antichrist. We're told in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, uh, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the apex of the Antichrist's career, declaring himself God to be worshipped in a rebuilt temple. Uh, do you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now notice something. The Antichrist cannot reveal himself as much. The revelation of the Antichrist until he who restrains is taken out of the way. Now, the point of view about who the he who restrains is taken out of the way that seems to make the most consistent biblical sense is the presence of the Holy Spirit within the church. Why do we say that? Well, Jesus said about the function of the church, Mm. uh, he said, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Light keeps darkness at bay. Salt is an important preservative that keeps things from completely rotting out. Paul says the mystery of lawlessness, it, it, it's, it's working. It's, mm-hmm. it's already up and running. And boy, you just have to take a look at the news to see mm. how lawless and how crazy things are, are certainly getting. But how much worse would they be if that restraining work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. through the salt and the light ministry of God's people in the church wasn't keeping evil at bay? So uh, when we talk about who's the Antichrist, you know, I firmly believe that the Antichrist as such cannot reveal himself as the Antichrist until we are taken out of the way 
at the rapture, the one who's taken out of the way in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that restraining work of the Holy Spirit. Will the Holy Spirit still be here on earth? Yes, because there's going to be all kinds of people who get sure. saved right. during that time. But that restraining work of the Holy Spirit, uniquely manifested in the salt and light in the church, will no longer be taking place. So when someone asks the question, do you think so-and-so is the Antichrist? Boy, we've got some, you know, is George Soros the Antichrist? <laughs> you know, is, is, is Klaus Schwab the Antichrist? He shows up and he talks with the, the German accent. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a James Bond villain. You expect him to be you going mean, like this in any moment. You know, <laughs> you, know you, you, name, you name the character. You, know, you mentioned uh, members of royalty. I remember uh, one Calvary guy always thought it was Juan Carlos of Spain, and I, I don't think he's going to be the Antichrist, mm. quite frankly. But we aren't going to know, and, and there's a reason why we aren't going to know. In, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 9, we are told, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the Antichrist. Oh No, that, that's not what that says. <laughs> Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, mm -hmm. Christ Jesus. Our focus is not on the horizontal yeah. to play Antichrist, Antichrist, who's the Antichrist. It's to be on the vertical, mm -hmm. looking for Jesus Christ. And that's going to keep uh, our, our hearts, first of all, at peace, because the more we look at Jesus, we realize this is all happening according to his will. It's all happening according to his plan. We look at Jesus and we realize the Antichrist isn't going to be able to hold a candle to our Savior. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be fearful of the powers of darkness because the one who dwells in us is greater than he right. that's in the world, even Satan himself, who's going to empower the Antichrist. So it's not that we shouldn't be ignorant of the times, like the parable of the fig tree, but at the same time, our we should have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Yeah, and, and that to me is the hallmark of healthy end times hmm. teaching it's really easy to go down the line of clickbait um sensationalism yeah. sell books by saying oh god revealed to me something that yeah, nobody's ever seen before and i know you know who the antichrist is and boy you know i'm going to show you pictures of the illuminati doing their <laughs> thing and and things like this well you know are the illuminati doing their thing or you know 33rd degree uh freemasons you know doing bizarre rituals sure hmm. you know i mean that you know, you know, you know, fine, but that doesn't and shouldn't get our eyes mm. off of Jesus Christ and off of what Jesus has told us to do. Mm. Not being cowering individuals wondering who the next major celebrity is going to be who's going to come and you know do wicked and evil things in this world. You know, the next Nikolai Carpathia is going to be or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But but saying to ourselves, okay, wait a minute, you know. All that we're seeing here is telling us that we are on the edge. I mean, Jesus could come at any moment, and he said he could come at any moment 2,000 years ago. We have more evidence to suggest we're in the ballpark now than virtually any time in the history of the church. I think we could be very comfortable in saying that. Mm -hmm. The rapture could happen at any moment. And there's no prophetic, there's no prophecy yet to be fulfilled that we're waiting for for Jesus to come for the rapture to occur. Yeah, but here's where the rubber meets the road. If you really believe that, should you run up all your credit cards so the Antichrist <laughs> has to pay them off and sit on your roof in a white robe? No. <laughs> 
What should we be doing? What the Lord told us to do. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Mm. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Go therefore. Yeah. Mm. Make disciples of all nations, baby. So so that answer really (laughs) answers Annie's question. How can we be sure we're not already in the tribulation period? And is it a literal seven-year period of time? Well, you know, the, uh, the interesting thing, uh, about the seven-year period of time that we see described there is it ties into the 70 weeks of years that we find in the book of Daniel. Now, the 70 weeks of years, or 77, Shabuah in, in Hebrew, uh, you know, some people say, well, how do we know those were years? I don't know they weren't minutes and all of this stuff. Well, we can know uh, because, first of all, in Jewish uh, law, there was a seven-year calendar, if you will. Uh, that's how it operated. At the end of the seventh year, you were supposed to allow your crops to have a Sabbath rest. And they call it the year of Jubilee? Or, or well, the year of Jubilee would happen at the end of seven uh, of these seven-year oh, cycles right. that is going on there. But having seen that, we take a look at Daniel, and we see that there are 77s, that are given to your people to fulfill all the promises that God mm-hmm. made to Israel. And then the angel Gabriel says, from the going forth of a command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be uh, essentially 69 of these sevens that will happen. At the end of 483 years, Messiah will be cut off, which refers to, by the way, a violent death, mm-hmm. but not for himself. Okay. All right, uh, 483 years. I think it's 173,880 days mm-hmm. uh, by Jewish reckoning, okay? So, you know, we go back to the command that was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. We know when that command took place. It was the command of King Artaxerxes in response to Nehemiah's right. uh, request in the book of Nehemiah. We know when that happened, mm. and we can do the math, and that brings you forward in time to the precise day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey's colt and presented himself as Messiah to the people of Israel. Bang. So if that previous 483 years and the idea of the seven-year periods of time that were supposed to govern the affairs of the nation of Israel, was God serious about those seven-year cycles? You better believe it. But he did promise that he'd be cut off. Right. And so we're waiting for Dan- Daniel's... 70th week. Right. And and I just want to make one other point. How serious was God about these seven years being literal? Well, in Second Chronicles, we are told the reason that the people of Israel were exiled to Babylon for 70 years was because they had never kept the sabbatical year. Oh, wow. They failed to keep that commandment, and we are told in the last chapter of Second Chronicles mm. that Uh, God sent them into Babylon so that the land could enjoy its Sabbaths. Rest. Made for lost time. So God was very Mm. precise about this. From the time that Joshua brought the people into the land to the time that they they left the land, uh, there were, you know, again, uh, once again, these Mm. sabbatical years were not kept. And so God says, yeah, you're going to keep them. And I think he does that for a reason, not just because he's concerned for the land, but because he wants us to know that when he talks about a seven-year period of time, he means a seven-year period of time. And the only thing I would add to this is just in biblical interpretation in general, especially when you get into end times and last days stuff, if the literal sense makes sense, 
Don't seek any other sense. Because one of the things we discover in prophecy, especially if you read through the book of Revelation, is that when the Bible is talking about symbolism, it's really good about telling you it's talking mm -hmm. about symbolism. And it tends to use the same kind of symbolism throughout, so you can kind of get a sort of a, a standard. Yeah, but when it's not saying, I saw a great sign in heaven, okay? Mm -hmm. We're getting into symbolic stuff here. We're talking about the spiritual, and a lot of this is going to be symbolic. But when it's not talking about that, our default position should be to say the Bible means what it says and says what it means. Mm. So when Ann says, how do we know if we're in the tribulation period? Because none of these things have taken place. The, the things that's the, the, the treaty, the, 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 the hallmarks that kick off the tribulation period. Yeah, and the other thing that we have to understand, Ann, uh, about the tribulation period, which I think can give a lot of comfort to people, or maybe conviction to people. By the way, yes, it is a literal seven-year period. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that we need to understand about this is that it is a time of God's wrath mm. poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. It is also the time that God is going to deal with the world again through the nation of Israel, not mm. through what we would call the church, this vast majority Gentile uh, operation that we've got going now. There's obviously Jewish believers that are part of the church, but generally speaking, this is sort of a parenthesis. God dealing with the people of Israel down through time, rejecting their Messiah. God then turns and has this gathering in of this group we call the Bride of Christ, mm -hmm. this very special group of individuals. <clears throat> Trumpet call. Yeah, and, and so when the rapture takes place, God is again going to deal with the, the world through Israel as his primary witness. And we see in Revelation, the 144,000. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel set aside. We see two standard uh, central casting Jewish prophets. Mm. Uh, I believe Moses and Elijah coming back on the scene. They'll have a three-and-a-half-year ministry. The two witnesses. So, you know, we don't see those two witnesses on the scene. Uh, we don't see God, again, reaching out exclusively to the world through the 144,000. But most importantly, we still see the church here. Mm -hmm. So we know that we... We are not in the tribulation period. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us God has not destined us for wrath, mm. but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, this can clear, clear up another confusing point because some people say, well, you know, believers, you know, have suffered down through time and Jesus is in this world, you'll have tribulation. Yeah, of, of course. Uh, people have paid the ultimate price. People are paying the ultimate price for their faith today. But that's man-made tribulation. Right. It's not the wrath of God. Mm. And there's a big, big difference. Read Revelation chapter yeah. 6. When the judgments begin to break, mm. even the world figures out the day of the wrath of God has come and who's able to stand. Yeah, who would pray that the mountain would fall on us to avoid the wrath of God? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> wow, thank yeah. you, Scott. That's really... I, 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 hope that's, also, I, I hope that's clarifying. I think it is. Yeah. I, I think you've both Anne and Gabe's questions were related, so, so I think it's good. Uh, Jari wants to know, this is unrelated. We have a lot of, well, I'll miss, since we're on the topic of, of end times prophecy and eschatology, uh, Jermiel Kirkpatrick uh, wants to ask if Jerusalem gets destroyed during the tribulation at any time in Isaiah. Well, we are told that Jerusalem will be divided into thirds, if you will, following a titanic earthquake. And uh, part of that titanic earthquake that is going to take place is also going to provide, according to the book of Zechariah, 
a uh, thoroughfare, if you will, for escape for Jews who still may be in the area around Jerusalem. Uh, it's going to lead them away from uh, the, uh, the ground zero, if you will, uh, of what the Antichrist is doing at that time. Uh, you know, and, and so in order for that to happen, Jerusalem, in some sense, still has to be standing. It's going to be severely damaged. There's no doubt about that. But uh, Jerusalem will continue to exist. Wow. Well, we have another question here now unrelated to uh, end times prophecy. Uh, Charles wants to know if full immersion is necessary for baptism or is sprinkling fine also? Who has, who has the right to baptize besides the clergy and church? Can someone's friend down the street baptize you? So two kind of questions. Uh, is it okay? to do you, Must you do immersion? Is sprinkling okay? And who has the authority to do the perform the baptism? Yeah, well, as far as immersion versus sprinkling, full disclosure, Calvary Christian Fellowship, we practice immersion. There's a reason for that. The word we translate baptized, Greek word baptizo, an easy one for you to hang your hat on, uh, literally means to immerse something. It was originally a term that was used in the clothing industry when you would take a piece of white cloth and immerse it into a dye so that every fiber of the cloth would be affected by the color of the dye. Uh, because of that and because of how we see ritual immersion done as standard operating procedure uh, among the Jewish people, particularly those who are going to go into the temple. Uh, if you go with us on our uh, trip to Israel, we're going to have coming up in 2024, and we'll be giving you details on that as soon as we nail a few things down. Uh, you know, one of the things you see, especially on the southern steps, and they keep uncovering more and more of them, are these mikvahs. Mm -hmm. And uh, and what they were were these these uh, kind of holes in the ground. You would uh, you know cut into the uh, the rock. You would see steps going down, and then the last step was a doozy. Uh, you know, people would walk into these things, and they would get up to about that high, and then they could bow down and self-immerse at that time. And so because of that practice, because it was the idea of I'm leaving my old life and what I was doing that was very secular and going to the temple and pursuing the spiritual, mm. that symbolism that was involved there is co-opted into the idea of baptism, uh, of immersion. You know, it's interesting that uh, we are told that uh, Jesus' disciples were baptizing people in a place called Anon near Salim because there was much water there. Uh, you know, if it's just sprinkling, why do you have to go down to the river to get baptized? Mm -hmm. So, you know, having said that, uh, you know, the, the, the most important thing about baptism is not necessarily even the mode or the individual who does it. What matters more than anything else is why we want to be baptized. Uh, you know, what are we coming to baptism to do? If we are coming to baptism in order to save ourselves, well, we've just run into a spiritual dead end because Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Apostle Paul even went out of his way to say, hey, you know, God didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, baptism is an important step of spiritual growth. In fact, I think it's a mandatory step of spiritual growth mm -hmm. that God wants every believer to be a part of. But if we come to baptism and we believe that somehow the act of being immersed or even being sprinkled 
uh, sets us aside or, 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 or saves us, um, then we're teaching something the Bible doesn't teach about salvation. Uh, if you think, okay, I'm not saved, but I need to be baptized in order to be saved, um, if you don't have Jesus in your heart and you're baptized, all you're going to get out of it is wet. And there's a lot of people who give you testimonies like, yeah, I went to church and I was baptized like four or five times. I didn't really get it. I didn't really give my life to Jesus. Uh, so, you know, I, you know it, it really comes down to the attitude of the heart. The other thing about the attitude of the heart, you know, in uh, Romans chapter 6, we get an idea what the picture of baptism is. It says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For we've been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Well, what we're saying in baptism is, is this. It's like an acted out sermon. It's a testimony of saying, I've come to Jesus. I've died to my old self. I'm a new cre creation in Christ. When I go under the water, it's my picture of, of identifying hmm. with the fact that Jesus died to take away my sins. When I rise up out of that water, it's identifying with this resurrection that I've been raised to a brand new life. Mm. But it, it's an acted out sermon. It's a presentation. It's a proclamation. It doesn't have any magical effect upon us. This first Peter 321 makes it clear that it's the appeal to God for a clear conscience. Uh, the act of having faith is what saves us, not the removal of dirt from the flesh is the way it's worded there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Now, as far as sprinkling goes, you know, I would say you know, some people say, well, that was meaningful for me, and it just symbolized the fact that Christ cleansed me. Okay. You know, I, I don't think there's going to be some crank in heaven that gets pulled, and you're going to go down the chute because mm -hmm. you weren't uh, baptized in the right mode. The heart is what really matters. Yeah, and if you haven't been baptized, we do baptisms the first of every month, so let us know if you'd like to be baptized as a new believer. Thank you for listening. We'll see you same place, same time next time. God bless you. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.